1: Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us
0: anywhere you get your podcasts at Seventh Heaven a Lesbian Recap.
2: I sent him a text one morning and I said, I love you with all that I am, but I can't live like this anymore.
0: Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. Do you want to tell our new listeners who we are? Yeah, I do. We have
1: been best friends for over 20 years. We've both been through our fair share of trauma. And so we thought, instead of crying about it, let's start a podcast and laugh about it. Yeah. And we interview everyday people with amazing stories to tell. No topic is off limits. I always forget to say that part. Let's tell them something fun about us. As a child,
0: I played violin, piano, and flute. So
1: musical. I think you shouldn't forget the part about how you were on the cover of a church magazine holding your flute.
0: Okay, well, I didn't want anyone to get jealous. (laughs) We are in the presence of a real star.
1: I grew up doing figure roller skating, figure skating, roller skating. And then I switched to competitive Latin and ballroom dancing for just over 10 years.
0: I love that. I went to so many of your competitions and I even got to spray tan you in your bathtub.
1: And you had to get that spray tan everywhere
0: everywhere yeah how are you oh i'm okay i just this plague is never ending it's never ending so it started three weeks ago with two of my girls being sick like being really tired and throwing up so i was like okay they're good then my 11 year old got a really bad cold and brutal sore throat cough fever all this stuff she was sick for a week and then my oldest got it same thing fever sore throat Bad cough. And so I was like, okay, I only have one child left to be sick, which is Jude, which is my youngest twin. But then my girls who were sick before with the fever and the throwing up, now they have this cold. So Kate got it, and she's got the same thing. And now starting yesterday, Claire has it.
1: And you were knocked down for a few days.
0: And I was sick. During the week from Tuesday until now, I'm still a little bit like stuffy. This is just insane. And everybody I know is sick. Everybody I know has sick kids. I know. Somebody wrote in to us on
1: Instagram and said, you need to cut an onion and put it in the room. And it like helps. I've heard that. I've heard that. Sickness? I don't know the science. Yeah. Behind it, But I
0: believe it. We could try it out. I could so cut some So you need to onions. go get an onion. Yeah. I have a whole bag of them in my kitchen. So we'll, well do that yeah you're set so I've just been dealing with sick kids I've been missing work I've had my kids stay at my friends houses because they also have sick kids so they're just being sick together and it's just been a whole thing
1: we've been like really lucky we've been like pretty like strict on not hanging out with sick people as so far knock on wood like Olivia had a bit of a sniffle but that was
0: it Yeah, it has not been fun
1: how about you I am good. My work is so busy with Christmas events being planned, but it's really fun. And I got past the torch for like our team, which is made up of a few different departments. You know, when you're like in an office and every month you celebrate like that month's birthdays. Yes. So I'm now planning and organizing the monthly branch birthdays.
0: So you guys do like everybody for that month, you pick a specific day and you celebrate everybody on the same day? Okay. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. There's so many different ways to do it, right? I know where I've worked before. It's if it was your birthday before, then you buy the cake for the next person. Oh, yeah. Is there any like any sort of politics surrounding like that everybody celebrates on the same day situation? Or-
1: I don't know. I think it went away with COVID and now they're trying right. to re- reinvigorate it. So right. I'm going to see if I can do it, but I'll keep you posted. That's cute. Yeah. And this weekend was Olivia's 12th birthday. Yeah. A big thing right now is either going to Flying Squirrel, the like trampoline place, or doing a locked room. But like right. for six kids, you're looking at least four. $300. Oh, yeah.
0: plus then you're paying for the cake and you're paying for the food and you're paying for the... It, it doesn't yeah. end there. Like, it's just... It's so expensive.
1: Yeah. And we left it a little bit late and we were like, we can't book anything, but why don't you have a sleepover? Her birthday's on, on Canada's Remembrance Day. So, like, the okay, Thursday, yeah. all her friends came over and then they had a sleepover. But we put together our own, like, locked room... Ish Harry Potter theme adventure, so not really a scavenger them. hunt. It was more like a locked room, like they had to unlock a series of containers. Okay. And I don't, I don't really know much about Harry Potter, but like one of the challenges was they had to dig through a bunch of gillyweed, which is like seaweed in Harry Potter. Yeah. But yeah. we used cold spaghetti, and we put it in Ew. a box with just holes cut into it, so they couldn't tell what it was. Oh, gross! I mean, they like obviously figured out what it was, but yeah, yeah. And they had to dig around for a key to unlock oh. something and i don't know i thought it was pretty good but then so creative yeah it yeah i don't know i think this is probably the last year where that's going to be like a fun yeah. cool thing yeah because next year like we just won't be i don't know like you won't be invited we, <laughs> yeah that's true we were like excited to be part of it and i think next yeah. year we won't be ex- no. it, yeah but then the next day so you know denny's you can yes. go for your birthday and get free breakfast okay yeah And so we told her friends that we're sleeping over, bring 20 bucks and we're going to go to Denny's the next morning. Yeah. And Olivia will get her free breakfast. And then we said that they could sit by themselves. We like, we went and sat like on the other side of the restaurant and they were so excited, but I was like super disappointed. And I remember this happening to us, like in high school, Uh the level of service you get when you are a preteen teenager is mm-hmm. so crappy. Yeah. And like we made sure we went in with them and I said, we're the parents, like we just want them to sit by themselves. They're really good kids. Like we all, they're all ordering something. Yeah. We they the server and the staff knew that like we were there. They weren't just like a bunch of right. hooligans. Yeah. It was four 12 year old girls. And yeah. they just we like sat and watched. We had a different server than them. And they were noticeably given less attention. And less patience and yeah. they wanted to like, they wanted to order smoothies and the server was like, no, we can't do smoothies right now. But I don't know if they actually couldn't or like, yeah, yeah. And because like,
0: there's this preconceived idea of what preteens are going to be like and they're going to yeah. make a mess and they're not going to have enough money. They're not going to tip well, all of these things. But that's so unfair.
1: Yeah. It was like really, I don't know that they really noticed as much, like maybe yeah. like we definitely noticed just watching it. And yeah. Then when we said, okay, and like the girl with the glasses, like it's her birthday, the server was like, does she have ID? And we're like, she's 12. What kind kind of ID would she have? And Lindsay was like, I guess I could try and find her birth certificate on my phone and then i was like you'd probably be more have better luck like going through your facebook memories yeah of the last 12 years and right? every year it's going to be her growing oh up oh my god and then another server was like oh actually like we don't need id for kids
0: yeah because really who's going to lie about their kids birthday and, and like, even if, if they you, it's only, did, it's a twelve like, ninety nine. Exactly. Yeah,
1: it was like twelve ninety yeah. nine off the bill, and there was five other people getting full yeah. meals and drinks. Yeah. Anyway, Ugh, I was just so like, I know, Denny's do better, servers, do better.
0: Right? Yeah. I have a funny story about, so I am doing some major purging right now of everything. And I've realized that I'm a hoarder. It's not good. (laughs) I don't have any stacks of newspapers. I don't have any flat cats anywhere, but I just have an excess of stuff. And I think when you have five children, that kind of comes with the territory. Plus I have all of my husband's stuff, not all of it, but I've gotten rid of quite a bit, but it's a lot of stuff.
1: I feel like all of us that have been through your house with you to like declutter, that are listening are just like, Michelle, we said you're a hoarder, kinder than that. And you just didn't see it. We've been through this.
0: I know. And I'm sorry. It's like, I finally hit that rock bottom where I'm like, okay, I can see it myself now. Yeah. Where it's like, why do I have all of this stuff? And I was going through this with my friend and I'm like, why would I go through this box and keep this stuff? Like, why would I think, okay, I'm going to keep this for now? When I haven't opened this box again for another year or more. What am I doing? Right. And anyway, so just got to that point where I was just like, I'm done. Like I went through all my clothes. I went through all, I get like the FabFitFun box and then I put stuff in there, like keepsakes and pictures. I went through all of those boxes. The funniest part though, was that I have experienced a lot of death in my life. And so I would hand her something and I'd be like, this is my dead husband's or this is my dead husband's dad's dead dads. It was just like a car. And she's do oh you know anybody God. who was alive? Like, it was just ridiculous. But then we came across this little sweater. And I was like, I wore this when I was a baby. I was like, should I keep it? And she's like, are you planning on wearing it again? <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is my goal weight. <laughs> yeah, <a> newborn. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to put this on the fridge. And every time I go to get something, I'm going to look at it and be like, mm, no, nope, can't do it. <laughs> you want to get back to your starting weight of seven pounds. Right. Eight ounces. It was so funny. We were laughing so hard. But anyways, it was just so funny. But yeah, I'm uh, going through every room, getting rid of things. The amount of stuffies we got rid of, like my kids are attached to things too and hoarders too. And so they had all these like huge squish mellows that just take up so much room. So we got rid of a ton of those. We're just like giving her, getting rid of all this crap. Yeah. Like the amount of
1: things, the amount of things that Jana and I threw out from your house. I know. That you didn't even know. I know. But then you never missed it. That's scary. I know. Like, you'd be upstairs, and Jana and I were like, just throw it out. Just I know. put it in the bag. And we were just like, getting rid of all this stuff. And I've never once been like, where is that random? Yeah. Popsicle stick. I think I'm almost the opposite to a detriment because I'm like, well, I haven't looked at it in five minutes. I'm just going to get rid of it. And then a week later, I'm like, damn it, where is that thing? <laughs> like, I'm just like, no, yeah, but I'm yeah. not a minimalist. I just, I don't know. I just yeah. make rash decisions the other way.
0: Yeah. I apologize for anyone who's gone through my house before and has helped me with this. And I mean, <laughs> And then I just kept like bringing more shit into my house.
1: We all have, we meet every other Thursday. Right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Have you been victimized by Michelle's hoarding? Oh my God. But yeah, it's just, it's really weird to look at it from a different perspective and be like, why do I have all this stuff? That's weird. But I think that was part of grief is like you hold on to
1: things. And then one day that emotional attachment isn't there anymore. They say before you get rid of like a loved one's stuff, if you're unsure, keep yeah. it. And then in a year, pick it up and maria Kondo it and, you know, right, think, right. does this still hold like that same sentimental value? And maybe yeah. it does and maybe it doesn't. Yeah, for sure.
0: I think a lot of it had was that, the emotional attachment to it. But yeah, it's just, it's time to yeah. declutter. Yeah. Anyway, that is all. Somehow,
1: I want this to segue into our wish list. I wish that I wasn't a hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> My God, Michelle, that's so funny that you mentioned that because yeah. we actually just started a wish list. OMG, that is just amazing. Tell what me a more. Fun- yeah, what a funny segue. There is a website called Buy Me a Coffee, mm-hmm. and it's, I think, designed for people who want to support creators on a one-time basis that isn't like a monthly subscription. So they just have this new feature where you as a creator, if you're, needing like new equipment, new software, if you're saving up for something, you can put it on there and people can contribute to it kind of like a GoFundMe, but I think or maybe like a on Kickstarter a... or something. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought we would give it a go and I just put one thing on there because I get nervous about asking for help. And so for our first wish list item we put a one year subscription to descript, which is the editing software that we use.
0: Yes. That you and- loved. And it really saves you a lot of time when it comes to editing.
1: Yeah. And it allows us to like transcribe episodes, which means Mm -hmm. we'd be able to put it on our website, which means we'd be more accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing
0: communities. Yeah. So if you want to contribute, you can go to our Instagram. It's the link in our bio, or you can Mm -hmm. go to buymeacoffee.com slash I-D-N-S-U-F-T. My God, were you just reading that? I always forget what it is. I read it because it's on in our address bar right now. Oh, so smart. Yeah. But you did mention something about a monthly subscription. What do we have one of those? <laughs> My God, these segues
1: are just flying right? off the We're shelf. Just professional. We do. So if you're just like, ladies, please, I want to support you and the work that you do more than one time. Mm-hmm. And I can't get enough of your silly antics. Right. Give me more. Have we got a deal for you? <laughs> we
0: have a Patreon. And Why don't if we you're have just have more advertisements on this show. We're so honestly, good. It's, it's just we're so too good. Fluid
1: Patreon is a monthly subscription where you obviously pay every month. We have three mm-hmm. tiers to choose from. That you get two bonus episodes per month that you're never going to hear on the main feed. We have over 64 episodes there right now. So if you were to like hit pause, go to patreon.com/slash. I'd have done not sign up for this, and then sign up for it. Mm -hmm. You'd instantly have 64 episodes at the level three, which we call the ultimate sufty. You also get a once a month video episode episode called Wet Mm -hmm. Wednesday. Yes. And we do draws. Like last month, we gave away a book for the for Pride Month. We gave away a whole pride package. Mm -hmm. And this month in November, we're giving away a free reading with Lisa the Medium.
0: Yeah, Lisa, who we've all done readings with, and she was on our Patreon, and she has offered a free reading for one of our lucky Patreon listeners. Yeah,
1: so all you have to do to enter is be a patron in November. Absolutely. So even though like it's November 15th that you're listening to this, maybe, mm-hmm. you have, oh, that just reminded me of something else. Yeah, you've got until November 30th. Yeah, awesome. To become a patron and be entered into a win. The other thing I was going to mention is it is my birthday month.
0: Woohoo!
1: Which is actually ironic that I'm talking about it because I just... Don't love my birthday,
0: but no, you don't like,
1: not, uh but in a weird way. It's not like I don't mind that I'm getting older. I think it's like such a privilege to be one year older. I'm just like, sure, I'm gonna be disappointed or let down, or I don't
0: wanna impose anybody. One of these days, we're gonna have to unpack this trauma and go back (laughs) to your childhood and see what your birthdays were like.
1: Yeah, not great, if I'm being honest. I'm
0: gonna think they weren't great.
1: Yeah, on, I think it was my 10th birthday. My sister and her friend Shakti Mm. invited all of my friends downstairs for makeovers, but I wasn't invited and they locked me out of the room and they all got makeovers and I just sat there by myself. So put that in your pipe and smoke it.
0: I think we pinpointed it right there, literally. That was the pivotal moment. Right.
1: But I decided because it's my birthday week and I was just feeling, I don't know, if risky (laughs) yesterday morning, I decided that we haven't, since we launched our new merch site, we hadn't really done like a discount or a coupon Hmm. code. So I decided for this week being my birthday week, I called it, if you enter code CARLINGS39, You get 10% off anything and everything in our merch store. I love that. That's such a good idea. And it goes until November 20th, which is my birthday. So Mm -hmm. if you've been thinking about getting something or you want to buy your friend something for Christmas or you just want to, then you should (laughs) do it. My God. (laughs) We're so good at this. Yeah. Should we get into this week's episode? Whoa, I think we should. Who's this? (laughs) Okay. Enjoy. Bye. Okay. Bye. Good morning, Chelsea. Good morning. How's it going? Excellent, and you? Good. Thank you so much for being on our little podcast. Thanks for having me. So, why don't we start by introduce yourself? Tell us like a little bit about you, and then we'll find where your story starts. Yeah, so
2: I am 36. My name is Chelsea. I live in Central Alberta. My husband and I have a farm out here. And yeah, that's where it all starts. Um, I met him 13 years ago. He was like the man of your dreams. If there was such a thing, he was Aww. It. he comes from Manitoba. He's actually an ex-hederate from Manitoba. So he grew up on a colony out there. He was gone quite a few years when we met. And yeah, that's where it all started. Did he leave? Because it's a religion, right? It's a community. So even though it's a colonization, it's a community. And so they have their beliefs and guidelines. And he's just not somebody that can be told what to do. He's that guy that's that's like, you're not telling me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it when and how I want to do it. So he left at 18. So this November marks 20 years for him being gone.
0: Wow. Um, yeah. So when you leave, is it similar to leaving like a strict religion where like you no longer communicate with your family or is there still a relationship? There's, there's a distance, there's a gap in the beginning because obviously
2: mm. the family is disappointed and they want <laughs> they want their children to stay, but there was never where he didn't talk to his family. They despised me when we were first together. I met his brother and his cousin because they lived in Calgary as well. So I lived in Calgary he, and that's where we met was actually at the ranchman's in Calgary.
1: Nice. <laughs> yes. That's like classic. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes.
2: I met his brother and his cousin and it was about a year after we started dating that he was like, okay, I'll take you home to meet my parents. And I was mm. terrified. Mm-hmm. Because I was going to the colony and of course I was not a Hutterite woman. And so they had these fears of him not ever coming back. Little did they realize at that point, he had already made up his mind. He was never coming back. Right. right. So there was a lot of like angst and resentment from them towards me. that it got to be wasn't... hard. Yeah.
0: yeah
2: Before was, even knowing you, right? Yeah. Yeah. You take it with a grain of salt. At least I did. I just looked at it as it's not personal. It's nothing Mm -hmm. that, you know, they have against me. It's just that they love him and they want him back home. He's the oldest son, the firstborn child. So of course he usually follows in dad's footsteps and takes over the responsibilities that his Mm -hmm. dad would normally take on. Yeah. That just didn't happen. We were together for a year and a half in Calgary and I decided I was coming back home to the farm. I couldn't do the big city anymore. (laughs) I just said to him, he was working the rigs and he was never home. I said, if you want to come, great. If you don't, then that's your choice, but I need to do it. So if you want to stick together, I'm going. Come or yeah. (laughs) And so he came. We moved back up here. We rented for a very short time until we found what we wanted. And then we bought the place we live in now. And I so slowly started my animal collection. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know we're very similar. You also have five dogs. I do. And a barn full of cats and 30 chickens and two horses and oh wow yeah so keeps us busy and currently 13 puppies yes yes so anybody needs a puppy
1: all of them yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) how old are they five weeks old yesterday oh
1: a little so they're just
2: like that roly-poly finding their voice growling there are kids we don't have kids so they're they're our babies Yeah, I guess the story starts when we first met. So my husband was like a casual drinker, social drinker, whatever. Have a few drinks. I've never drank. I've tried to like it. It tastes terrible.
0: (laughs) Yes. I would far rather
2: just have a pop and pretend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. But yeah, so he started on this, like he'd come home from the rigs. He'd be home for a week. Life was a big party. We were in our twenties. You don't ever think anything of it. Mm -hmm. and as time progressed and we came up here I'd come home from work and he'd be drinking by himself again you don't think a lot of it you're like he's on days off wants to have a couple drinks who cares yeah but then it turned from a couple drinks to a whole bottle and it turned from coming home to work and he'd have a few drinks and be productive in the day to coming home and he couldn't even stand up oh wow And I knew alcoholism was an issue with his family because his dad was sober for 16 years, I want to say. And two months before my husband's kind of crash where he agreed to get help was when his dad went to treatment as well. Oh, wow. About 60 years old, he went. And one of his brothers that was living out here, he went back to the colony and he ended up going for treatment for drugs and alcohol.
0: Uh, Do heterodes drink? Yeah,
2: Okay. and culturally, I see them drink quite a bit because it seems to be like the one thing that they have control over. Oh, interesting, yeah. I see a lot of that they just, they enjoy their drinks and some people have an off switch, but
0: lots don't. I guess and- my assumption was more that they don't drink. So then if yeah. when you do leave, you dabble mm-hmm. in something yeah. that you haven't done before. But if, mm-hmm. if drinking isn't against you know, because I think that's is
1: I'm thinking this is a terrible reference, but that TLC show, The Amish, the Amish, yeah, and okay. they don't drink or do anything, and then they right. leave at 18 to see the world and just do everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: No, so they have a lot of freedom. And then all of a sudden they have a lot of money because they're working and working the rigs. And so they start dipping into everything. I was very fortunate in the sense that my husband's drug of choice was alcohol until they legalized marijuana. Mm. And then that became a factor as well. He was drunk and high 24-7. The only time he was ever sober is he'd get up in the morning, he'd go to work. There's lots of days now that he's sober that he would say, I didn't remember what I did until noon.
1: Oh, wow.
2: God. That's um, so scary. Yeah, it was terrifying. How he still has a license, I'll never know. I've yeah. personally called the police on him many times coincidentally yeah. they could never find him funny I always did and told them where they were but right so at the depth of his addiction he would take the vents out of his truck and he would pack them full of those nude vodka seltzer oh, yeah. things yeah and he'd start his truck before he'd leave work and turn the air conditioner on high so he would have cold drinks on his way home oh my god Yeah. are you married at this point yeah his addiction didn't really hit the depths until after we got married he would drink and stuff but he was open about it but after we got married it got a hold on him it just went in a downward spiral and he started getting very violent and like verbally abusive and at the end of it I was packing up to leave the day he went into treatment I was planning on leaving because he had been physically violent. That was the breaking point for me. And at that time, because I had never experienced addiction in my own family, Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand addiction. Like I learned so much through his treatment and my journey and my recovery and all of it, because it takes you down with them. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a mental disease, just like cancer or diabetes or anything else that needs treatment. Mm -hmm. And so many people, my family, they all said it. He just needs to quit. He makes bad choices and he just needs to quit. The reality of it is he couldn't. So yeah, it got
1: ugly. Did he recognize it as an addiction before you at the same time as you? I think he recognized it early on because he would hide his alcohol.
2: Hmm. So we have an old farmhouse. Only part of our basement is dug out. And the other part is dirt. It's got a retaining wall and dirt. And Hmm. I would find bottles buried in the dirt. So it was like a shame thing where he was trying to hide it. Yeah, yeah. And it was easy while he worked away because he could drink all day, all night. And I didn't see him sometimes for two, three months when he was gone. Wow! So when he came home, it was all of that obsession with one another. And like I say, he is a magnificent person and I love yeah. him to pieces. If I didn't, there would have been no way in hell I could have held on for as long as yeah. I did. I'd call my dad crying and he'd be like, well, just leave him. And that was yeah. his answer. Just leave him. Yeah, And my dad, I'm
1: surprised your dad didn't just show up and beat him to death.
2: Yeah, he would have. But there was some very strong, please, daddy, don't do that. (laughs) 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 Because my dad's a fierce protector. And I've always been daddy's little girl. When he first met my husband, he was elated and loved him to pieces because he works hard and he's got a strong work ethic and he's respectable and respectful. And he didn't see what was coming either like it was just all of a sudden blindsided one day where it was like you've got to quit drinking this is an issue and all of a sudden you're in a full-on brawl and not knowing where it came from oh my
1: god and And did you feel it was extra isolating being in a remote community it was easier for him to gaslight it was easier Mm. for him to make it my fault
2: Yeah, like I was the villain. And as time goes on, and you learn addictions, put the time into it, as I've learned over the last year and a bit now that he's been in recovery, it's all about them finding a reason to make it somebody else's fault. I drink because you were mean to me or I drink because I had a bad upbringing or I drink because no you drink because you have a problem Mm -hmm. and there there's a chemical imbalance that happens and society is just so set on these are just awful people like why would you choose to drink why would you choose to do drugs and I have to admit I was one of them in the beginning I was one of them. Yeah. Like, why would you decide? I didn't understand addiction. Are you kidding me? You yeah. couldn't get a beer down my throat if you tried. Yeah. But as I saw him to- slowly spiral, my well-being went down the tubes with him. And I never, ever saw it. Never saw it. My parents would say to me, you've changed so much. You've mm-hmm. changed. And mm-hmm. be like, what you're talking about? I'm growing up. Like... Yeah. Life changes. When he went into treatment, I realized just how messed up I was. Wow. And it took me to the depths of despair because now my addiction was gone because I had become codependent and fixated on, I was going to fix him. I was going to save him because if you love anybody enough, you can love them love those broken pieces back together. Yeah. i became fixated with controlling the finances and making sure there wasn't enough money in the bank account that he had access to so that he could buy more booze newsflash they find a way oh yeah yeah, yeah. he would collect bottles and ditches if he had to he wow. found where he could get a 60 ounce bottle of vodka for 30 dollars yeah probably tasted like road tar but yeah
1: it,
2: it did, still it gave did the job to. yeah yeah it did there was so much hurt that started to surface because you just go into the survival mode. It was years of like physical and verbal altercations and him driving drunk and the stress. And we struggled when we got married. We wanted kids not more than anything in the world. And I was pregnant when we got married and I was pregnant with t- twins and miscarried. At oh, 16 weeks after the twins, we got pregnant again. And I had another miscarriage. So they sent us to a fertility program and we went through all these expensive fertility treatments and testing and all of this. And it was just becoming a waste in my eyes. Cause I was like, now you're in this state where I don't want to bring kids into that. Right. And at the end of it, over a course of 12 years, I had 21 miscarriages. Oh my God. Wow. I would just shove it down. And in my mind, I'd cry about it for a couple of days and get up and go back to work because mm-hmm. I was the one looking after a farm and everything that we had worked so hard to accomplish. And he was just stuck in this haze of he just needed to drink and I was like lost because we were going to lose our house we were going to lose everything yeah and so I just worked and worked and didn't realize until he finally got help that it was so detrimental to my well-being and I've always been like super bubbly and upbeat and then all of a sudden I'm this puddle that can't put it together and can't make sense of where life went you blink and all of a sudden 10 years have gone by and you're like Mm -hmm. I just wasted 10 years of my life and I have no idea if this is gonna help yeah so like I say it was a rough road to get him to the treatment part I sent him a text the morning up because he would go on benders so he would disappear for two three days and I'd see him drive by our place I'd see him come in when I was sleeping but he didn't want to face me and this would happen once a month Usually around a full moon, crazy as it is. Wow. So I knew he was still alive. That was it. And I sent him a text one morning and I said, I love you with all that I am, but I can't live like this anymore. And so you have to make some hard choices and know that he had cried to me countless times that he didn't want to drink. He didn't want it. Yeah. But when I'd offer help, he wasn't ready yet because he would say to me, I can do it by myself. And that's the idea that so many of them get into is I can do it by myself because society has shamed so much that addiction is a choice. It's not a choice.
0: And then they must also feel like I can't go into treatment because I have to keep working or I have to support my family or I have to do these things. So taking that time away to go to treatment is just going to make things worse when in reality it does. But they yeah. probably think I can do it myself. I can keep working. I can keep doing what I need to do for my family. Mm-hmm. They can't. Pride like, is a huge thing. The
2: yeah. 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 Pride's a huge thing. And he kept it very hushed. So I sent him a text that morning and I said, You've got to make that decision for yourself. I can't make that choice for you. I love you no matter what, but I'm going to have to love you enough to let you go because mm-hmm. I can't keep putting my well being on the line. So yeah. he didn't respond. And then he did after. I'd say five or six hours and he came back. Well, I drink because you're a witch and I drink because you Uh put this strain on me. And I drink because we have no money and we had money. Yeah. We had money. I just squirreled it away so that he didn't drink it all because he probably would be in the ground if he would have had endless access. Yeah. Right. I talked to his parents that day and I said, as sad as it is, like the last thing I did was get married to get divorced because- I come from divorced parents and that's, I swore when I got married, there was no way I was doing it to get divorced.
1: Yeah. And
2: here I was, felt like a failure because five years into our marriage, I'm like, yeah, I can't do this. And so his dad phoned him and he said, you've got to make some choices. And his dad was fresh out of recovery, two months. His dad called me back about a half an hour after I talked to him and said to me, he said, he said, I hope you were praying on things. And I said, of course. But at this point in time, I said, I've lost my faith. Like I've been praying for years. Yeah. And he said, he said he's willing to accept help. So that's where it gets tricky because... I was like, okay, he's willing to accept help. So I was on the road and I had actually drove down to Red Deer just to get away for the day. And so that's about an hour and a half from where we live.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, I started making some phone calls to get him into a treatment center because his dad said to me, he said, you can't afford rehab. And I said, I'll figure it out. Like, just leave it, leave it to me. If he's wanting help, we'll get him help. I called Clara's home and I called the hospitals and I called HealthLink and I called Mental Health. And I got the same answer from all of them. It's a four to six
1: week wait, (gasps) if you're lucky. And like somebody could be dead in that time.
2: Precisely. And that was my argument. I'm like, first off, he's asking for help because at his lowest, he drove his vehicle into the side of our garage. Uh. He tried to get into the house and was so out of it. He could not. And he was in a puddle in the front yard. It was cold, it was rainy. This was August when this happened. When I came home, his vehicle was still running in gear, parked in the side of our garage. He was bloody and covered in mud in the front yard and desperate, desperate. And so HealthLink said to me, if you want him in sooner, you could take him to the likes of a local hospital and they'll do detox for him, but then they'll let him go. I said, perfect. So you give him a week to take all the alcohol out of his system and medically detox him because it's a scary thing when they start medically detoxing because yeah. their body had become reliant on alcohol for, in my husband's case, 20 years. He started drinking <sighs> when he was 13. So 22 years he had been drinking and now all of a sudden you're gonna take that away? Give him a week in hospital, where you pump him full of a bunch of different drugs so that he doesn't feel the pains of that. And then you cut him loose. So where's that helping anything? Now he's just gonna- Go out, and he's going to drink the same amount as he did when he went in, yeah. and he's going to wind up in a coma. And that's, in my opinion, why there's so many drug addictions now. And it makes yeah. me angry because, oh, we don't have space for them, we don't have space for them. You have to pay for it privately. In the meantime, these poor souls have had to hit their rock bottom and have literally yeah. lost everything. In my husband's case, he was lucky because he hit his rock bottom, but I still kept a roof over her head, and I, yeah. they He was still okay. But for those people that don't have that, it's terrifying. And different one said, you don't do them any favors by making all the arrangements for them. Let them do the work. I was like, if I was broken and I was asking for help and every door I knocked on was, sorry, can't help you. Sorry, can't help you. I would feel so out of sorts that I would probably, I mean, in all of it, it was enough to make me want to drink. Yeah, I finally found a recovery center that's about 30 minutes from our place. And it's a ranch and they are a private facility. What that meant though, is for a four week program, it costs $22,000.
0: Jesus.
2: Plus meds. Yeah. So by the time it was said and done, it was $26,000. Oh my God. So he was out of work for two months. He was in treatment for a month and then in recovery at home for the, that first three weeks that he came out and a week before he went into treatment, he was out of work. So for two months, it was on me to pay all of our household bills, come up with this ridiculous amount of money to get him help, because that was the only way we could get him help. Because if you cough this money out of your pocket, it was wait weeks and weeks and weeks. And if the intake coordinator felt that there was somebody worse off than you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You got bumped. Yeah. That's awful. So I phoned them and they said, yeah, we'll take them. And I said, when do I have to wait six weeks? Yeah. And he said, no, he said, how far away are you from here? And I said, like, I'm an hour away from home and it takes me a half an hour to get there. And he said, okay, perfect. I'll give you two and a half hours. That should be enough time to get a bag packed. He told me what to pack, what to bring what he would need and what it would look like but he told me what it would look like for him right nobody tells you what it looks like for you yeah Yeah. because everybody sees the problem as the problem's fixed because now the alcoholic is sober they don't look at Mm -hmm. it as the relationships around them they do a lot of damage it's like a tornado I dropped him off in treatment and I phoned a good friend of mine and I was like I need help like I've got my dogs locked in the garage, and I can't get any of the doors open because there's a vehicle parked in the side of my garage. And he came and helped me, and we got everything fixed. And it was a scavenger hunt for three weeks around here finding all the bottles that were stuck. Oh God! But then, in that, on about day three, I realized I was broken. Broken. Now your partner that you love, that helps you through everything that's hard is gone. You cannot even speak to them on the phone because for the first week he was in there, he was so angry. He wouldn't even call. And so that is gone. In and amongst all of this, three weeks before he went into treatment, my grandma, who her and I were inseparable. That was part of the reason why I moved where I did. She passed away. So your support network is all of a sudden, vanished and then you start to realize I'd never experienced anxiety in my life and I was having severe panic attacks and I was diagnosed with PTSD and and I was reaching out for help but getting the same thing. Like here, yeah. buy this book, read this book. We can set you up with a therapist, but it's gonna be about seven weeks before we can get you in. Yeah. You you sit there and you're like, but I need help now, not seven yeah. weeks from now, not a month from now, now. Because I haven't eaten or slept or done anything. I've lived off cigarettes and coffee for the last four days and sat in a puddle and cried and tried Mm. to hold the pieces together long enough to go to work and then come home and look after all my responsibilities here. But then you're worried sick about him. The nurse would call every couple of days and be like, he's still doing good. Oh, good. Glad to hear he's still alive. Yeah.
0: Basically the only thing you got. This is so reminiscent of what went on with my husband. He went into a mental health facility for a month. It was just like, he's getting all the help he needs and he's getting therapists and he would go swimming and he would go do pottery and he would do all these things. And I'm at home with our five children trying to figure out how I was going to pay the bills and how everybody was going to be okay. And I didn't have my partner. And it's just like, obviously they need the help and you want them to be there, but there's nobody for you no. to help you pick up all the pieces. And you almost get resentful
2: in those moments. Yeah. And then you feel guilty for being resentful. Yeah. And then it's just all of these emotions that come flooding towards you because I'll be real. I was pissed. Are you yeah. kidding me? You put us in this place, yeah. your addiction got us here and now here i am the one cleaning up the mess and you're there getting all of the handshakes and all of the hugs and all of the support and you've got counselors and therapists and psychologists and whatever you need twenty four seven. and i had nobody because my dad was totally set against he's like whatever do what you want but i don't have a lot of faith yeah fair enough. Like he hurt me. And yeah. in turn, my dad had a lot of emotions attached to that. Mm-hmm. My mom, same kind of thing. Like I was on my own. It's not like my mom and dad were there to help me clean up the mess, pick up the pieces, put everything back together yeah, and help make sure the bills were paid. Like that was on me. And while he was in there, I was selling off our possessions, like my car and our holiday trailer. On top of it, we had a litter of puppies because we usually have two litters a year. And he went into treatment on the 23rd and on the 27th, I had 12 puppies born. So oh, as if God. I didn't have enough on my plate, now I have all of this extra work. Yeah, You keep going like, when's it time to fix me? But then they would start having visitation and you could see them on Sunday from noon until four. The first day I was there, I stopped on the side of the road and I couldn't even bring myself to pull into that facility because I was a mess. I was crying and hyperventilating and vomiting. It took Ativan to get me in there. Yeah, I knew I needed to face it. I knew I needed to deal with it, but I didn't know how it was going to look like There was so much hurt, like how I knew I wanted to get over it. I knew I wanted to forgive and I recognized it as being a mental health thing, but I didn't know how to do it. Like, how do you forgive somebody that betrays your trust, lies to you for years, hits you, yells at you, screams at you, calls you names. He would get drunken with the air out of the tires of my vehicle. Like, really? Yeah. (sighs) Really? yeah so there you are in the morning before you go to work and at the time I commuted an hour and a half to work one way so there I am at five o'clock in the morning outside doing chores realizing my tires are flat having to do that and then deal with all the rest of life and it was just it was overwhelming I was there for him all through treatment and he kept saying to me when I get out of here I'm gonna help you heal no you're not because it's not your job
0: yeah and his healing is ongoing
2: Yeah. His healing
0: is never going to be over.
2: Exactly. I said your job in helping that healing is prove to me that you can earn my trust back. Yeah. Yeah. And prove to me, you're not going to hurt me. Like here we are a year later. And if he raises his voice to me, it's enough to send me over the edge because of that trauma attached to it. That it's just, what are you talking about? You just find yourself falling back. And some days are better than others. There's been times where he's come home from work and held his hands up to give me a hug. And I flinched. That shouldn't be so bad. So how do you kind of forgive? And how does your family forgive? So like my mom and my dad, they have been really good. And my stepdad and my stepmom, they've been awesome. They treat him with respect. They don't like what he did, but they are very proud of what they see now. Because they see a change, they see the difference, they see we're happy, and they see that he's a fantastic guy, like he's a Mm -hmm. great person. And I met so many people, like when he was in treatment, we met some amazing people that looked like total bums when they came in there. One of my husband's best friends came in there screaming, yelling, and nothing more than his boxers because his parents didn't believe he wasn't going to smuggle drugs in there wow and he is a very accomplished welder and machinist and he's an amazing person Mm -hmm. and I would trust him with my life but if you would have told me that was the relationship that was going to grow in four weeks and continue to grow after he was out I never in a million years would have imagined that because I looked at this guy and I was like "Mm, it's pretty (laughs) sketchy like yeah yeah." (laughs) And now he comes and spends weeks at our house and I would never think anything of it. But if you would have told me a year ago, that would be cool. I'd be like, he's going (laughs) to take anything that's not bolted down. And this is going to
0: Yeah. Did you yourself go to any Al-Anon or CODA
2: meetings mm -hmm. or anything like that? The day he went into treatment, I knew I needed help. That was the start. And I called HealthLink and they put you in touch with the mental health and the crisis counselor will talk to you for your half an hour or whatever, and give you some yeah. phone numbers. And so I'd call all the phone numbers and it would be the same thing. We have a wait list, but we can put you on the wait list. If there's cancellation, it's four to six weeks, blah, blah, blah. Four to six weeks seems to be their magic number. And I said, four to six weeks, isn't going to cut it. And they got, I even reached out to the rehab facility and this is something that as time goes on and we're getting further along in our healing, I'm trying to really advocate for these facilities to offer family treatment to show the family and the spouses and the partners that life changes. Life looks a lot different for us today than it did a year ago. Yeah. Because yes, you have a sober spouse, but it was like we started our relationship all over again because they are different people. Yeah. Totally different. They're not the same people. They, go through big changes and they learn different coping mechanisms and they are taught different ways and how to handle stresses and so where it's like to you or I looks as being disrespectful it's them gathering their thoughts and putting themselves together to come back to it and I'm like middle of the conversation you're walking away from me are you kidding me yeah and I find myself having to check myself because there's a lot of I shouldn't say a lot, but there's times where it's like a pity party. You put me through this hell and now you want me to be understanding of you. Yes. Yeah. And I find myself going, okay, let the past be the past. It's gone. Like Mm -hmm. that person is gone. The person I was then is gone and you have to let it go. But it's also setting boundaries. And everybody would say, you have to be firm on your boundaries. You have to be firm on your boundaries. I'm a pushover. I'm a total pushover yeah and so I've struggled like I've really struggled to say you know what no you don't get to talk to me that way or no you don't get to say those things to me this last month I've been really sick and in and out of the hospital and had to have surgery and I have Crohn's so it's been an ongoing thing for our whole relationship but this last year with the stress I just think it just triggered it and it just sent it into a big flare-up Like last March I had to have surgery and I lost 170 pounds in a year. Wow. And he was nowhere to be found in any of that. He was sober enough to pick me up from the hospital and bring me home. But there I laid in bed by myself and looking after myself. And then this past month, I was in there. And even in the heart of harvest, where it's the busiest time of the season, he was there every single night. Wow. Every night and showed up with my husband does not shop. Are you kidding me? He's a farm (laughs) boy. He does not shop. He does not cook. He does not do laundry. Yeah. And he had gone to Walmart and he bought pajama bottoms and he bought comfy cozy sweaters and made sure I had all the toiletries I needed and shampoo and toothbrush and He was there and if he couldn't make it, it was texting nonstop and he would call. It shows growth. It shows development. And that helps heal more than anything. Back Mm -hmm. to what Michelle was saying, like, how do you get over that? And it's to see those landmarks and to see the growth and see the improvement. And it starts to erase those memories. Yeah. Yeah. And they're replaced with new ones.
0: I think it's so important what you were saying about this, like, advocating for family counseling because a lot of the time the person, like we said, who's in treatment is getting the help and is getting what they need and they're getting their co- the coping mechanisms and the learning how to set boundaries. But the rest of the family doesn't know what to do. And mm-hmm. I can relate to that where it's like, you don't know if you're going to make things worse, if you're going to make things better, it's almost like you need to learn how to yeah. be around this person now that they are in recovery And we need to learn how to now help that person also help ourselves and not live in that fear of, is there something that I'm going to do that's going to be wrong or that's going to put them back into where they were? Yeah. You feel like you're walking on
2: eggshells all the time and you have a bunch of built up resentment. And when they come home, nobody tells you they're going to be withdrawn. Nobody tells you that they just spent a month practically in isolation with their thoughts and unloading all of their crap and unloading all of their baggage. And they go to classes from eight in the morning mm-hmm. until 10 at night because they mm-hmm. keep them busy. And you've been hustling and working 12 hour days. And in my case, commuting three hours on top of that. So my day was 15 hours long, trying to sneak in an Elenon meeting here and there, looking yeah. after all the animals, looking after the garden, looking after the house figuring out how you're going to make the ends meet and pay for Mm -hmm. their treatment. Mm -hmm. And you're just, by the time he came home, I was exhausted. I was elated to have him home, but he was so withdrawn and so different. And then you grieve the loss of the person that they were. And nobody tells you that. And it's like, why, why are you grieving this person that's sitting beside me? Mm-hmm. But it's because they're a totally different person. You'll always hear lots about, I got out and my husband was an alcoholic and now he's sober. Or my wife was an alcoholic and now he's sober. And I got out, I got away from it and yay for me. But nobody ever tells you the stories of, I made it through. We made it out the other side. We survived yeah. and we're better for it. Yeah, it's tough. It's hard. It's raw. It's real. It's a lot of therapy and medication. Yeah and you have to unpack your stuff and yeah his counselor the only advice he gave me was you should buy a book by Melody Beattie called codependent no more okay great thanks so of course I mean if this book's going to help like i'm willing to do anything you go through all of these things and then you start to dig a little deeper and my medical doctor actually was able to put me in touch with a, a psychiatrist who was able to get me in with an addictions counselor That's because, amazing. yeah, and it happened very quickly. Thank God, because you have to understand what addiction is in order to understand the recovery process. You think you understand it because you lived it, but you don't understand what's going on in their head and what yeah. they're doing. And they're working through those 12 steps. And some of those steps are real because like you said, there's triggers, and mm-hmm. there's triggers from past childhood traumas and things that happened that started this whole thing. Like it didn't just start because he decided beer tasted good one. Day.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: And so they don't tell you that. They don't mm-hmm. tell you that they're hurting. And he would call from rehab and lash out. On his second and third week, he was able to call and he would call and he would just lash out. And I'm like, you've humiliated me publicly for the last 10 years. Yeah. And now- I've got you to a place where they're helping you and what you asked for. And it's still not enough. Mm. And now you're making me feel like a fool in front of all the people that you're there with. It's hard. You kind of question, like, do I really want that in my life? And you start sorting through your own baggage and it's a process. It's a process of what serves me, what doesn't, who serves me, who doesn't and who brings drama and who doesn't. It's tough because We've been living in this bubble with COVID for these last couple of years. And so you get so socially isolated leading up to this whole ordeal. And then you're socially isolated afterwards. And now that you can be social you have these big fears because if we go to a birthday party and they're drinking is that going to trigger him is he going to want to drink is last night was my cousin's wedding is that going to be okay or are we going to have to leave early because he's going to be uneasy and uncomfortable and you you still find yourself doing that and the addictions counselor I saw god bless him he was an amazing person but he's a man from Texas just down to the nitty-gritty and real as they come and He said to me, he said, if you're going to make a life with this man, you're going to have to learn to change your life. If you don't drink, it doesn't affect things. But if he's uncomfortable, you have to be willing to up and go at the drop of a pin. In a way, you still do walk on eggshells, but not so much. He's become very good at letting me know. If we're out somewhere and he says, I think it's time to go, I don't question it. Okay. It's time to go yeah, yeah and we get in the truck and as we're driving home we'll talk about it or I'll say are you okay yeah it was just time to leave or yeah. he'll say no actually like I had to get out of there because I was feeling like I I needed to participate in what was
0: taking place it's like you okay. have to trust their new instincts right? and yeah. but it's yeah. got to be really difficult to be able to do that
2: that's the hardest part and the communication mm. because it's still very raw for him like he could talk to a complete stranger about his experiences what he went through how he felt how it affected me how it because I was the only person that he had close to him he had friends and he had the people he worked with but I was the only person that loved him that he had in his corner here because his family is two provinces away yeah and they couldn't come out here I was the one that took the brunt of all of it it's not like you know he'd lash out at his brother he'd lash out at his family it was me It was. Holy, solely me. Yeah. And so you find yourself like kind of lost in this haze. You've been lashing out at me and now I'm just supposed to let you have whatever you want. Yeah. But in the same token, you just want to sit and communicate with that person and you want him to say to you what he says to complete stranger. But it takes time. We're now 14 months today. He's made his men's. He wrote me a letter. And he was able to verbalize those things in a letter, but to actually sit down and be like, verbalize it to me, he still can't because- he did hurt me and he feels bad. Yeah, And I just have to let it go. I'm a very head-on person. I hate confrontation, but I hate drama. I hate emotions. And so if there's like the slightest little bit of angst with me and somebody, I'm the first one to come to you and be like, did I upset you? Did I make you mad? (laughs) Yeah, Is everything good? Is everything okay? Or when you said this, you offended me. That's just who I am because I don't want anything festering. And I'm always worried about everybody else. And there comes a time where you finally have to worry about yourself and
0: your own mental health absolutely mm-hmm. yeah yeah. nobody tells you oh your significant other is going in for treatment you're going to need help also because their main concern is that person of course but the people that are left behind are truly left behind and they have to pick up the pieces while worrying constantly about their loved one by worrying, if, is this going to work? Am I spending $20,000 and this isn't even going to do anything? Like, there's so much fear and worry in all of it. And the families need help.
2: Nobody reaches out and says, Hey, can I come help with tours? Or can I yeah. drop off supper? They just think that because you've been this hard shell that's held everything together, mm-hmm. that you're just going to Continue to be, and nobody realizes that that shell is cracked in so many pieces that you know the slightest little tear drops to your cheek, and your puddle. That's it. Yeah. You just fall yeah. apart, and it's just a big gooey mess. And yeah. nobody prepares you for that. Nobody. Yeah.
0: I also don't know about you, but during that time, like I wasn't really communicating with anybody about what was going on. Of course, my close family knew what was going on but I didn't want the world to know what was happening because there's shame there's shame and there's all these things attached to it yeah it was
2: pretty hush like our closest family and friends because we live in a very tight-knit community even though we live very rural like our closest town is a half an hour away so Mm -hmm. we're out there our community is tight it's like a family and so they all saw what was going on so I didn't really have to tell anybody the neighbor would stop by or something and we board some horses for our neighbors as well as have my own horses here and she would stop by and she's like where is Ernie? haven't seen him around in a few days and then you have to be the one to break the news Mm -hmm. and we're very fortunate in the sense that we've lived in a community that's predominantly mennonites so they don't drink right oh interesting they're very, how would I say, compassionate people. There's no judgment, wow. none whatsoever. Wow. And so there's a lot of gratefulness in that because I didn't have a ton of help when he was gone and I was just struggling to keep your head above water. And some days you did, and some days you drowned just a little bit, but mm-hmm. you got back up there. When he came home, there was people around that were willing to do fun things with him and involve him because everything that he knew to do evolved around Boots, everything. Yeah. And there was also that because I didn't take any time off work through it all because wow. I couldn't afford to. When he came home, there was that peace of mind because they knew what he had just gone through. They were constantly checking in on him. He mm-hmm. would pop by in the morning and have tea with him or coffee with him and bring a little bit of fresh baking. And if I was going to be working for, over supper, they would call them to their place to go down for supper. So it was that constant check-in to make sure, Hey, are you doing okay? At that time, that's when I felt like really fell apart because now the stress was off of me. The strain was off of me and now everything had festered and was at the surface. And I was angry, I was mad, I was hurt, I was sad. It takes time and it yeah. takes a lot of strength. And I've had different people come to me and say, so you're advocating to stay in an abusive relationship? Absolutely not. Not oh at all. God. Yeah. Not at all. But what I am saying is coming out on the other side of it and giving them a second chance, it's important because there's a reason you fell in love to begin with. Everybody deserves a second chance, in my opinion. Yeah, Mm. there's a lot of things that happened, but there's a lot of changes that happened in that time too. We celebrate those mile markers. He went to meetings like obsessively in the beginning. Now he doesn't as much, but I don't stress it. In the beginning, I was like, are you on your meeting? It's Wednesday, where is it? Or he did a Zoom meeting every single day. And if it was seven o'clock and he wasn't on the iPad, I'm like, why aren't you on your meeting? And so now it's just, I trust him enough to know that he does it when he needs to. And social media has been a saving grace in a lot of it because there are a lot of recovered addicts and recovering addicts. And I'll find them sometimes just in a quiet place and just watching TikToks and listening to what different people have to say on WhatsApp. And hey, if it works for you, who am I to say? And that's where I would say like the advice to to go and get the book that I was recommended to Mm and work through codependency.
0: Yeah, I'm totally going to read that book because that was one of the things that my husband said. He was like, we're codependent. You and I are codependent on each other. And I didn't really know what that meant. And you almost think, okay, yeah, we take care of each other. But being codependent isn't a good thing. And I feel like I'm still codependent and he's been dead for four years. So it, it's something that I really need to work it's on. It's
2: hard. It's a yeah. hard journey. And that one comes with a workbook. It's like a 12-step program, the same as they're working through that you okay. work through.
0: Okay, I'm looking oh, at the book hard. right now. It's codependent no more. So How to Stop Controlling Others and Start Caring for Yourself. Oh, by Melanie yeah. Beebe, you said? Yeah, Melanie And Beebe. I'm getting it.
2: Then <laughs> these facilities, you'd think for the amount of money that you pay... That they would have a package to be like, here you go. They literally gave me a paper that was a receipt. That was the only thing that I got from them was a oh receipt. God. Thank you for your money now. Toodaloo.
0: Yeah.
2: And on top of this, he did not want to call his employer before he went into treatment. Right. He's like, I can't. I just, I can't. So I called them and told them and I was like, I was a horrible person and left him in a difficult position and. Right. Like, how could you do such a horrible thing? And you struggle with that. It was just at the beginning of harvest. And she's like, you're a horrible person. And you left us in a difficult position. And how could you do this? And I'm like, are you for real? I'm a horrible person. Are you kidding? You ever stop to think what I'm going through right now? Yeah. Yeah. And the heck of it was, I had talked to him and I said, I have three weeks of holidays banked at work from all the overtime. And I said, so I can still get paid there. And I said, I can go help them with harvest because." I grew up on a farm. I can run a combine. I could do this. So I was calling her to say, I'll take this time off work and I'll come help you guys so that it's an extra bit of money too for us to be able to make ends meet. Right. But she called me all sorts of names and I never need to speak to you again and hung up on me.
0: And he still works for them. That's so awful. It is. Yeah. But
2: my grandma always used to say the darkest storms make the prettiest of rainbows. And you know what? (laughs) We're starting to see that now.
0: Yeah. Wow,
1: Chelsea. Ooh, that, thank sharing. you so much for yeah. sharing that. That's a really hard topic it's and a hard. hard topic yeah. I think more people need to be having that perspective that you have.
2: I just want people to know there's no shame in it. There's mm-hmm. no yeah. shame in mental mm-hmm. health. There's no exactly. shame in addiction.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Thank you, and we'll let you get thank on you. with your day. Awesome. We'll Great, be ladies. in touch really soon. Have a good day. You bet. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. Thank you so much to today's guest and to everyone for listening.
0: If you're enjoying this show, there are many ways that you can help our
1: podcast grow. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Join us on our Patreon. Follow us on social media. Check out our merch store. Share our show with your friends. Download and subscribe wherever
0: you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to be a guest on our show, please message us on IG or Facebook.
1: Have a great week and thank you so much for your support. Bye. Bye. Why are they still here? Mm-hmm. I guess I'll just turn up that outro
0: music